Secrets of a Dance Hit with Ridney. Hey, I'm Ridney, presenter of Secrets of a Dance here. I've been a producer for 20 years, a DJ for 23 years, Cafe Mambo Ibiza resident and three times winner of the prestigious Essential New Tune Award on Pete Tong's BBC Radio 1 Essential Selection. I've had music on labels including Defected, Tool Room, Ministry of Sound, Nervous, Size, Spinning to name but a few. And what is Secrets of a Dance here? I'm having a look and a listen to some of my favourite records from my favourite producers. Records that have been underground bangers which have gone on to be huge global hits. Join me as I lift the lid on sample clearance, how records were put together and what producers thought of these records. Join me for Secrets of a Dance here. On this week's episode of the show, I'm joined by Paul Marston, a man who has had 19 records, 19 on the UK singles chart. You may know him from aliases including Amen UK, The Candy Girls or Highgate with Judge Jules. Uh, I interviewed Paul a week or so ago. He's now based on the west coast of Ireland. So with the internet there, we went for an interview. It's a tiny little bit glitchy in places, but you'll love it. So this week, we talk about Yamanda and Synth and Strings. Secrets of a Dance Hit with Ridney. So back with another episode, Secrets of a Dance Hit. Welcoming to this week's show, Mr. Paul Masterson, a.k.a. Yamanda. How are you, sir? I'm very good, Paul. How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, very good. And thank you for joining us. I was just saying to you really quickly, having a look through your plotted history, I want to tackle you today on Yamanda. But boy, the hits you've had, very impressive. Yeah, yeah. There's been, been a few, actually. I've been, I've been quite fortunate. I mean, I think also, I mean, I've probably I was in the industry at the right time when, when people were buying CDs and, and 12-inch vinyls and cassettes even. That's not really the, the thing these days, you know. So maybe it's, it's kind of like being at the right place at the right time and, and maybe making the right type of tunes that people were into, you know. But uh, I think, you know, if, if I was um, making making those type of records today, it'd be a completely different story because of the, the way the nature of the industry has changed, really. So Right. Wow. Okay. I'm, I'm going to start with how I've actually found you, not realizing it was you. This is going to sound mad, okay? okay. <laughs> First record I bought of yours, 1995, I think it was, Candy Girls. Oh, wow. Wham, bam. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> right. Only just realizing right now with the help of Discogs that that was you, but I want to flash forward to 1999, if you don't mind. Of course. Uh, I, was, I was in Tenerife at the time, and there was this promo in Player de Americas which was the biggest record without a shadow of a doubt. It was a manifesto promo. I think it was a black sleeve at the time with an orange, bright orange header. And that track was Synth and Strings. And it was, without doubt, the biggest record at that time, that year. Yeah. I didn't know if you could give her an, an idea of, of 
how it all started, or even with all your aliases, how the Yamanda alias started? Well, uh, as I say, probably late 1998. I mean, obviously, I mean, when, when I made the Candy Girls records, that was like 1995, 1995, 1996. Yeah. And then, uh, then came along was the Amen UK project with uh, myself and Panos Leasi and Levine Maximin. And and that, that was a great time for like two or three years. We had a couple of hits um, with, with Amen UK. Yeah, that was passion, right? That was passion, yeah, yeah. Up, uh, uh, on uh, Fever Pitch EMI records. And um, yeah. and then, as I say, you, you kind of like just go back into the studio and then you start working on working on ideas. And, and the, the, the idea that I was working on, just I just didn't feel fitted either the Amen UK... Um, Act or the Candy Girls Act. So I, when when I made the Synth and Strings, which I think actually was probably late 1998, obviously I had to do this under a new name. And it was pretty much the first record that was kind of made on my own. So um, right. I thought, well, I might as well just use a new pseudonym. And I wasn't really too fussed on using my own name, Paul Masterson. I just think that sounds a bit nerdy, really. So um, so I thought, well, Yomanda. And Yomanda was, um, uh, it was kind of like, it's kind of like ripped off the girl band, Yomanda. And I just thought, well, I wish I'd called myself Yomanda, but um, I can't really. So I kind of like just dropped the J and put a Y on there. Awesome. The thing I've got to know with Synth and Strange, Strings is just the whopper of a sample that's in there, which is um, Dance Yourself Dizzy. Sure. And as a complete sample geek myself, yeah. there's always been that tip of the cap as to that is an absolutely brilliant sample yeah. going back to the source I, like what made you go for that it all kind of started um, with uh, the Dance Yourself Dizzy sample whenever I was on holiday with my parents in Blackpool picked up a cassette single or cassette album of um, of cover versions and on that sing- on that particular cassette was Dance Yourself Dizzy but it was a really kind of like trashy cover version and then it kind of like always stuck in my head it was as, as a great disco record but it just didn't sound the way it should. And then a couple of years later, um, I found the original Dance Yourself Dizzy on a 12 inch and I realized that that, that was the original, not the cassette single that I'd bought a few years back. Yeah. And um, but uh, and, and and then I just thought, oh my God, this this just like is a fantastic um, piece of music. But on the flip side, there was an instrumental, and I'm even to this day, I'm still digging charity shops for disco records, uh, soul records that has a instrumental because you, you just never know what you're going to find on the instrumental that can have like just a little piece of magical music, you know, without the vocal. Yeah, that's proper digging, isn't it? Absolutely, it's- yeah. I always find that's where hip-hop and dance music really cross because, you know, everyone's doing the same thing. They're looking for that loop. And the fact that you're saying, I'm looking for the instrumental on the flip to find all the bits I need to to really do this sample properly. Sure. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. And and, and because the instrumental was on, was on the flip, um, when it got to the chorus, there was just like this big anthemic string section, you know, yeah. which, I mean, the, vo- the, vo- the vocal was maybe a little bit cheesy on the original but I, but because the because the instrumental was on the on, on the flip side it kind of just just gave it a little bit more of a cooler edge and, and I always just thought right this instrumental sounds great so I 
uh, that, this was like, you know, still, I was only like 13, 14 at the time. And then, right. yeah, and then this is a, you know, um, getting into sampling and uh, make, making music, you know, in my early 20s, then Dance Yourself Dizzy was 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 the record the 12 inch uh, instrumental was one of those records that even after candy girls amen uk i was going to get round to doing something with it was just on right. on my to-do list so um yeah in the summer of 1998 and then i started putting bits and pieces together and then i, well, I finally got round to finishing it on in 1998 and um and basically it was it, i only took two sections of the off the 12 inch instrumental it there, on the intro there's kind of like a bass line loop um, yeah. which is just like mixed in with like guitar and drums and that was pretty much looped throughout my whole Yomanda synth and strings version it was just like the bass line of their version was looped through my one and then I took the strings just kind of like EQ'd the, the bottom end out of the sample because obviously the original the original uh, 12 inch you know um, obviously still had the bass and the drum yeah 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 so you're taking like 100 hertz off it yeah exactly exactly and this, so yeah so I basically just you know put the two together you know I, was, I looped the bass wow. line section took the string line section which still had the same bass and drums and um, and put the two together and that was pretty much the loop that you hear of uh, of, of synth and strings and, but, and then in the middle section there's kind of like a little trancey element and I'll be honest, actually, I think I nicked um, a little section of Dahu Love Parade. Meet, meet her at the Love Parade. <laughs> <laughs> Love <laughs> and, it. And, and I resequenced that particular sample to make the synth section of synth and strings. There's also just like a um, kick, hat, and hand clap loop that goes through synth and strings as well. That was just mm -hmm. taken from one of the, the old 90s sample CDs that you could pick up, you know, on, on online. So it was just like a kick drum and hi-hat loop and that was pretty much running through the whole record as well and then a couple of drum machine uh, snare drum rolls a couple of rise sounds from my Juno 106 and that was pretty much it really was it was it was quite a sort of simple record to make I mean it, it, it probably took about three or four days to make to be honest wow so I was just gonna say are you gonna join the club of what seems to be that everyone that I've interviewed so far pretty much I think these records are made super quick. You know, the, the idea is there. And when it comes down to putting it together... Totally. That's one of the things I've always said, even through interviews that I've done over the past 15, 20 years, people say, you know, what, what, how do you know whenever you've got a good idea going? And I always say that whenever you don't struggle over an idea over three, four weeks, if you don't struggle and, you, and it comes together within the space of like three or four days, even, even an, an hour, can, you can come, up, come across a fantastic idea in the space of an hour and then and then if you can put it together in like three or four days then I think that's when you know that you've got something magical but if, sometimes I feel if you have to struggle and really really work at it over the period of weeks and months then maybe it's time to throw it in the bin and, yeah. and, and start afresh. I think that's really good advice and it seems to come across with most people you know if, if you're sweating in an, on an idea and it's not gelling quickly chances are it's it's going to be a struggle exactly all around. absolutely yeah your best just to put the put your energy into to trashing it and, and and trying to get that energy and buzz and excitement that you that you come across when it, when if you're if you're producing you'll always come across and you'll, you'll get that feeling you get really really excited about it and you can't stop playing it and you think oh my god what is this this is just a great idea i'm loving this yeah. and when, when you get the excitement that comes really really quickly then that's when you know that you've got a great idea going 
Yeah, absolutely. So the type of questions that have been coming in include, this is a popular one, what equipment were you using at the time to put it together? Um, okay, well, back then, I mean, it was quite, quite a basic setup. Um, I had a... Um a 32-channel mixing desk, which was, it was a Studio Master mixed down classic. And um, that was um, pretty much this, what, what the, the desk that I made all my records back then. And it was quite hissy, you know, but it, was, it wasn't, wasn't like an expensive desk, but it had a warm, round sound to it. And uh, sampler-wise, um, I think, if I can remember back then, on synth and strings, I used the Akai S3200XL. Classic. Yeah, absolutely, yep. Yeah, they were, you know, and I still have them actually. And although I don't, I don't, I haven't been using them recently, but I am still going to take them out and and make some records in that old style because I really do think uh, making making tunes with with old analog sounds and drum machines and and this, you get a completely different sound. I think a lot of new producers are trying to recreate the sounds of you know the Akai's, the Emu SP twelve hundred, especially. You know th those kind of bits of kit. Sure, people are trying to replicate the sound. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. No, I mean, I think yeah. I mean, without without the without the real deal, you're kind of going to struggle, really. And and that's right. And as I said, it's good to see. You know, people are. You know, even on eBay, people are still you know um, bidding for a lot of these old analog machines. So it's not like as if you know they're completely defunct. You know, people are still mm. using them. So I think it shows that that people do value how good these these machines sound. And um, but but going yeah. back yeah, but going back to the other equipment um yeah, so 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 all my, my my drum loops and my samples um the dance yourself dizzy samples were all sampled into the akai 3200 and they would have had separate outs so each each sample would have would have went into this a separate input of the out of out of the akai into the mixing desk and then i think um I, the drum rolls uh, crash cymbals ride cymbals were again were straight out of my TR909 drum machine, which which I've had for many years, and um, it's pretty much a standard, you know, standard uh, drum machine used in dance music. You know, I mean, they are kind of like yeah. the, the holy grail of, of dance music. It's the go-to, right? <laughs> uh, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I think actually, if I remember rightly, there's like a rise effect um, in 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 the mm. where, it, where it builds up. I think I made that on the Juno 106, which um, which I still have, and then there, I, I think effects wise I probably just used um, a lexicon PCM 80 nice yeah yeah that was just for, for a little bit of reverb on on yeah. the, on, on, the uh, on the effects and delay wise I think it was a Roland SDE 330 if I remember rightly nice yeah, yeah so it was a very very basic setup and everything so everything was running into the um, studio master mixing desk now one thing I will say is that I have a it's called an, a solid state logic FX G384. Now, this is like the rack mounted version of the compressor that's used in the SSL mixing desks from like the 80s and the 90s. Yeah. I, think I think they're still making them, but it's it's the older versions seem to be the more popular one, and they're quite quite sought after. But it's just like a rack mounted compressor, and I ran the whole mix of synth and strings through this, and then onto a dot. I just recorded it onto a dot tape. I think a lot of people are using this compressor. I think waves and um, 
uh, what's the other company? Um, uh, I think actually SSL do do, do plug-in versions themselves. Of I was going to say, I think SSL do these days, don't they? They've, you can get it all as a as a bundle. I, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but I mean, if, if if anybody can sort of like you know keep their eye out for an original, it's it's the uh, FX. FXG384. It's the it's the rack mounted version made like in the early nineties. They yeah. sound absolutely amazing, and there's nothing like them. I think they even don't sound as good as the ones that SSL made in the late nineties. They, they 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 kept on making them, but everybody says that it's the early ones that that just have a bit more punch and a bit more warmth. And that, and you think that part of that is just what's made the records sound the way they do? Absolutely, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I think it was the SSL four thousand series, the rack mount version of of the compressor that was in the four thousand series of desks, and and they just made and all the pop records and the dance records were made on on those mixing desks in the late eighties and the early nineties. So it just has an, a really really good punchy sound. Yeah, and. Um, you know, and, and as I say, but it wasn't like a whole, an, an overall amount of compression. It wasn't like a huge amount. It was just just a little bit, just to to glue it all together. And obviously, back yeah. then, you know, you know, I was just using all analog equipment. There was no VST. There was no software. Mm. So everything went straight out of the desk into the SSL and then out onto a DAT machine. Now, the DAT that I recorded that particular song with was a Tascam DA20. Just a very, very basic DAP machine, uh, rack-mounted DAP machine, and then it went off to the mastering. And when, when Manifesto signed it, it, it went, it went off to the to the uh, to the mastering house. So the mastering house, they probably maybe added a little bit more bottom end, maybe a little bit more EQ. But when, when I compare both master and pre-master, there really isn't much difference. Just maybe a little bit, bit of loudness and a little bit of EQ, perhaps, but not nothing. Nothing much to add, really, apart from that, you know. Yeah. So tell me, you, you know, you get to the point. I've, I've, a, I've a vision in my mind of of you, maybe with pencils on the mixing desk, just trying to trying to get it all mixed down and sounding as good as it can. Did you already have a relationship with with Manifesto before um, Synth and Strings, or it, was it a case of the track was finished and you were shopping it around? How did, how did it kind of work? Okay, right. Well, I mean, this is this is quite an, an interesting story because firstly, I made two versions. I made the instrumental version, which everybody knows, but I also made another version with um, with an acapella on the top, and the acapella was Donna Giles, and I'm telling you, and I think it actually came out on XL recordings or or ORE recordings. Really? Yeah, or recordings, Donna Giles, and I'm telling you. Now, there was an acapella on the CD single, and I put the acapella over synth and strings, and I sent it. Now, I didn't know Judge Jules at the time, but I sent him, okay. I sent him an acetate of this particular version with the acapella. So he, I think actually he might have faxed me back, back then because yes. there, was no, there was no email. <laughs> so I think, he sent me a, I think he sent me a fax actually. He says, Paul, um, really like the uh, the track he sent me, but I don't like the vocal. So he says, if you can send me the instrumental version, I'll play it on the show on Friday. So this would have been late 1998. Um, yeah. And I says, oh, brilliant. Okay, that'd be great. So obviously because I had an instrumental, I sent him the instrumental and he played it on the show on the Friday and then I think he played it on, this, on his Saturday show as well. And I believe on the Monday morning there were Manifesto were interested, I think at London Records, Warners. So it was kind of, kind of like a little bit of a bidding war going on because Jules was playing this new record on, on his show and he was saying you know, how, you know, how well it had worked for him at, at his gigs over the weekend. So um, 
but obviously because Judge Jules then was um, NR person. He at, was, yeah. Yeah, at Manifesto. Well, I thought, well, it'd be really, really cheeky to, to sign the record to anybody else but uh, Manifesto. So we did the deal. Um, took, took, it took a month or so to do the deal. But while we were doing the deal, Jules was still promoing the record each week in his shows, January, February, March, April. So it pretty much built up from like January 1999 right up until like June 1999 over the pace of like six months. And then we done like a, a big mail out through the um, the, the uh, mail out companies. So it was power, power yeah. promotions. Hyper, oh yeah, sorry. It was, they were the two back then, one was yeah, absolutely. It? Hyper yeah. and Power. Yeah, Hyperactive and Power. But I believe that Manifesto were the, Manifesto were used power mostly for all of their records. Yeah. So we went with, with uh, Power. And um, it was a six-week promo, and then we got all the, the reactions through from all the DJs saying, yeah, this is brilliant, love this. You know, heard it on Judge Jules' show many times. And um, and then we got, got set up for a July, July early July, mid-July 1999 mm. release. And uh, it's really weird, actually. This is, this is a funny story as well. Uh, Dana Carroll had a record out on the same week. It was a track called Without Love. And obviously, Dana Carroll was with Manifesto Stroke Mercury. Because that was the parent company of Manifesto, right? Absolutely, yeah. So Mercury right. was like the, the, the parent company. Manifesto was like the dance division. Yeah. So so there was like two records out on the same week. Dana Carroll was out on the same week as me. And everybody was thinking, right, Dana Carroll's going to maybe, on, on the midweek chart position, maybe hit around four or five and a Yamand will probably be about eight or nine. And then when, when, when the midweek sales come through, which was like was on the Tuesday afternoon, Yamanda was number four on the midweek charts. Wow. And Dana Carl was number nine. And then on the Sunday <laughs> on, on the Sunday top <laughs> on the Sunday top forty rundown, Yamanda kinda like had slipped to number eight, but we still made it to top ten. But Dana Carl unfortunately had dropped down to number fourteen or fifteen. And I think everybody at Manifesto oh, no. Yeah, like all the NR guys at Manifesto were furious because they wanted Dana Carl being like, you know, the big diva at the time, you know, to yeah. you know, to, to be like the, the, to win the race really, you know. So I thought that was, I was quite glad that I kind of like beat Dana Carl in the race that week, you know. So that is awesome. And it goes to show the real power of, of a club record that was smashing it Absolutely. back then, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's a perfect, you know, shows just how big that record was that sure. summer. Absolutely, no. It was great. It, it was such. It was such a great year, and, and and also, you know, I mean, not forgetting, you know, people like Dave Pierce, you know, on Radio One, and uh, I mean, he was a massive supporter on on dance anthems every Sunday, pretty mm. much, pretty much leading up to to the release as well. You know, so we pretty much had, and, and then obviously daytime Radio One, we had a, yeah. we had A list. We started off in the C list and moved up to the B list, and then straight up to the A list. So we pretty much had all the boxes ticked for, you know, for for the release really. So there was kind of nothing nothing going to stop it really so it was yeah and was like with I'm guessing Manifesto turn around to you and go look Paul we need to cut a radio edit you know we, we did. how did you feel about that were you like okay cool I'll, I'll drop this down to three minutes you know because I always think sometimes it, it's tough trying to get a record that you've put together as a six seven minute club banger sure. into into three minutes for daytime radio yeah yeah absolutely I mean I mean, it was tough actually because even back then you know I mean I, I, I didn't have uh, pro tools or, or logic mm. to do it myself so I think actually I had to go to the mastering house and use their pro tools system to, right. to, 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 to chop it down but I mean I have to say but I didn't didn't really find it too 
hard because you know I mean it was it was pretty much straight in with with the intro and then the chorus kicks in maybe like 15 20 seconds later so I mean I found I found it quite easy structure wise to, to, to chop it up to three minutes so it's pretty much just shaving off the intro and the outro really you know so um I didn't really find it too difficult to be honest but I suppose it's something you have to do if you want to get radio radio True, radio absolutely new. You know, you, you really do need to have a three minute thirty version, but that, I mean that was there. I mean, I think it's probably even like two minutes these days. Yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. At the same time, I mean, before you hit the top forty, I'm guessing the video was already cut because I, I love the video for it. I love <laughs> yeah, it's quite. It's quite <laughs> you surreal. sat in your chair, and you know, it, it's it, it's it's a really fun video, and and very much of the time, if you don't mind me saying. Sure. No, absolutely. Yeah. No, that was, some people have actually compared it to um, Destination Calibra. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And people were saying, "Oh, yeah, no, it's a bit ripped off," but obviously, you know, but I came first, you know. So yeah. So we can we can put that argument to bed. But uh, but yes. yeah, I mean. But yeah, I mean, it was it was fun. I mean, the video only took a day. I think we made it around about March, April time, in order to um, service MTV and the box, and, yeah, uh, like the, the the main video companies at the time. And, and obviously, you know, we, we we picked up great support from from those from all the, the video companies, and um, and they they gave it the thumbs up. And yeah, it only took a day to make. I mean, normally. You know, dance videos like that—they re- just doesn't really take any more than a day, to be honest. And um, yeah, and uh, I mean, I didn't really—I mean, I didn't really have any tr- any input on the actual video. I mean, we got a couple of treatments in from different video producers, and we thought well, that was the, the the best one, really. I mean, I, I, I'm not really visuals and, and art and and making videos probably isn't you know really my bag. So I just thought, well, that seems to be the most appropriate one to go with. Love it. So I, I'm guessing at this point as well that the record is really crossing across Europe and and the world basically like I say you know my first real exposure to it was um Tenerife just seeing it absolutely do business sure. you come back to the UK and the record's like a whopper here was it just rocking across Europe or did it go global straight off the bat pretty much Europe actually I mean I think maybe um I mean I mean global probably not so much it was probably maybe I think probably um because of the nature of the record it was an instrumental and I think maybe because it didn't really have like that sing-along memorable hook I think you're kind of like in my, in my experience you're always going to be limited to maybe like more of a like a European uh, hit single rather than a global um hit single unless you have something like like a um Levi's advert you know yeah. to, to go with then obviously then then you then you're kind of like you're going to go global but yeah you know as I say we, we pretty much hit you know pretty much all, all of Europe and obviously um, I mean Ibiza you know the whole yeah. the Balearic scene that that was great for the record because obviously every everybody was hearing it in Ibiza and obviously came back and bought the record you know and I think it spent like you know probably like three months in the top 40 which is I was going to ask you yeah I mean you know how long it was on the chart and, and the other thing that I find interesting to ask producers about which for, for newer artists coming through is what kind of numbers a record would do in a week to hit number eight in the chart. I I should imagine some serious numbers were done unit-wise. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think like in the first week alone, I think we did about 50 or 60,000. I think it was like on the, wow. just, just on the first week. I'm not too sure what, you know, the numbers are these days, but obviously, I mean, if you sell, you know, probably even like, you know, half that amount, you'll get a number one. Mm. Yeah, but um, I'm pretty certain it was about 50 or 60,000 and then, and then I think over, over the over the period of the next two to three months and then we, I think we probably did hit, hit over the 200,000 wow. at least anyway, you know, so... 
um, that's awesome, isn't it? It was a great. That was great. Absolutely. You know, it was best time. One of the best times of my life. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I can only imagine. And and followed up um, with three other UK top forty records. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know. I mean, they they, they probably just didn't have you know the the spark and the magic as 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 synth and strings. But I mean, they were great follow ups and, and they worked in club level, which you know, is, at the end of the day, is is the reason I make records is because I've got an absolute passion for club music you know yeah. so um but yeah i mean they all they all hit the top 30 top 40 and they, they hung around for, uh, for maybe about a month or so afterwards so um yeah i mean they were great follow-ups and um and they worked really well for me I'll, I'll tell you an interesting thing if you don't mind me saying sure a couple of people have said to me you should be talking to paul about sunshine over synth and strings oh wow okay. and i'll tell you for why uh-huh. because of the kevin and perry association wow. and the fact that so many people still watch that film right. now okay there's a lot of people in the build-up to Ibiza, which will hear the season each year, which will watch Kevin and Perry's, and obviously Sunshine's in it. <laughs> right. So they go, oh, come on, that's that's the bigger record, right? I, I know, and yeah. Another top 20 here. I never realised it, you know, number 16, is that right, in the chart? Uh, yes, absolutely, yeah, number 16, yeah. I mean, how did that come about? Was it was that another record that was still same time on the hard drive or? Yeah, well, I think I mean I started making the follow up around uh, probably a few months after after Synth and Strings came out, and then I think it was released. I think it was around about February two thousand, I think. And uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, I, I hadn't made the record when I'd made Synth and Strings, so I kind of had to get my skates on and, and start working on a follow up. And um, was their pressure for a follow-up there, there was actually yeah, because the label were saying you know let's not leave it too late because obviously people are going to forget who you are and um but 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 i didn't realize something things was going to be as big as it was and had i known i probably would have put some ideas you know in the pipeline and get something in a bit a little bit more together but whenever you make a record you don't really know that it's going to sell really well you, you just know yeah. that you love it that's that's the only thing you just know that you love it if anything else happens then it's a bonus really but um but the sunshine record was um, I think um, the, the the people who were behind the movie they approached Jules for a little bit of consultation uh, for for the soundtrack, and obviously Jules um, su- you know suggested the Sunshine would be would be perfect along with a few other uh, records that, that he was working with mm. on Manifesto as well. So um, uh, yeah, so um, we we worked with uh, Harry Enfield um, you know on, on a couple of ideas, and 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 Harry he he was like no I, I actually love the record, so he was quite instrumental about wow yeah yeah. how cool is that to think you know making records and stuff that that's how your you know the journey could go that way absolutely you know i mean i mean mean, to be honest it was bizarre you know because you know we we had a meet with harry and and he turned up on a moped when i when i lived in london he turned up on a moped to my house you know i was just like you know it's just the weirdest thing you know you know him turning up on a moped and then having lunch and talking about records for his next movie you know yeah no it was great and and as i say it was used used in the movie and uh, and 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 it's even you know I'm, i'm so thrilled that that the movie's still getting, you know, aired even today. It's kind of like a cult classic, really. Now, you know, it is. And do you know what's helped it even more? I think is is it being on Netflix. Absolutely, yeah. No, definitely. Um, and it's it's that on demand, Kevin and Perry. Now, you know, <laughs> absolutely. Don't have to find the scratch DVD anywhere. Just <laughs> That's true. Put it on your favorite streaming service. No, absolutely, yeah. Funny enough, actually, I'm actually doing a gig in, in Belfast on May the fourth, and it, it's kind of like Kevin. It's called Kevin and Perry Go Large, and it's kind of like, yeah. And they've got like a, like a Kevin and Perry themed night. They've been doing it for the last three or four years. So myself and 
Ayla, I think, and Simon Paul from Lost Witness. So I think yeah. anybody's had a connection with with the movie, or you know, we're, we're doing you know DJ sets and. Uh, so what would you do for that then? Is it you know you go through all, all your hits or what? What do you do for that kind of show? Uh, well, I mean, I mean, I'll just do like a, 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 a like a, a just a, a simple DJ your man the DJ set like the way I would do anywhere really you know. So, but obviously I'll, I'll have probably some new edits of Sunshine. I'm, I'm I'm actually going to be putting down some new beats for a new version because I don't really want to drop the original. I'd like to sort of yeah. have something a little bit special for, for, for the gig. The VIPs. <laughs> Absolutely. We love it. <laughs> of course, of course, yeah. So um, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to be digging out the parts and, and, and the original samples and uh, working on a, on, on, on a new edit for, 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 for the gig anyway. So That's brilliant, that's brilliant. So going just over these, you know, the two records, I mean, like we said with Synth and Strings, you know, Dance Yourself Dizzy's the sample in that. Was there a sample in Sunshine? There, there, there was actually, it, it was a sample, it was based on, on, on a sample, I think it was called um, Sunshine Hotel by Richard T. Bear. And um, again, that was another old disco record from 1979, I think, 1980. But one of the things that you, that uh, one of the perils of sampling records is that you have to get sample clearance. And yeah. it, was a, it was a little bit of a, a tricky situation to get the sample cleared um, when, for, for synthesis okay. strings. Oh, that's what I wanted to ask you about because part of the reason for the podcast and very much my own experience is how some samples can be an absolute breeze sure and boy oh boy have some gone so um <laughs> yeah. you know a, a lot of people wanted to know, to know if if it really was a breeze with synth and strings and sunshine or or whether it was tricky you know Sure. I mean, it, it, it was just. Um, I mean, the lawyer. We, we just got like lawyers on it to, to, to negotiate with the record company um, with uh, with uh, splits and points. So it wasn't a case where they they didn't want the sample used. We were just trying to get the best deal, really. You know. So I mean, obviously, if you sample somebody like Alba, they're going to turn around and say, "No, we do, we we do not give authorization for any of our samples." So it was good that that, that they actually gave they gave us the, the permission to use it. But but it, 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 the time taken was just to negotiate the, the splits and the fees and 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 uh, trying to get the best deal for for myself really and, did uh, it delay the release of the tracks at all through, through sample clearance not really actually um no no because um, because we because we were building up through from January 1999 right up to summer um you know it was it was done that, it was done while the record was building, really. So, um, oh wow, that's very uh, cool. But, but, but probably to, to my disadvantage because the guys at the at the record label, uh, I think it was Polo Records, who are part yeah. of part of Champion Records, and um, they knew that the record was going to be big. So they kind of like called the shots. They were saying, right, okay, well, these are our splits, really. You know, either take it or leave it. So. Um, if, if if we were negotiating on a record that wasn't hot at the time, I probably could have got a better deal. But at the end of the day, I wanted what was best for the record, so yeah, I just yeah. had to take, yeah. take what was given. So um, and they they were happy both from a publishing and a master side. So you could use you didn't have to go for replays or any any kind of stuff like that. No, 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 absolutely no. They they, they were fine to, and to use the sample. So um, yeah, so we just that's very cool. Absolutely, yeah. So um, and I think it's always probably best to use the original sample if you can but but i mean it, i mean the 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 the, um, the guys who um who replayed sunshine is uh, stonebridge from sweden they, they contacted stonebridge he replayed the sample 
he got his fee and and that was it really and, and it saved you know a lot of hassle you know yeah. contractual wise so uh, so I was happy to go ahead with, with, with the replay to be honest but only because it sounded good I mean if it didn't sound great I would say no no let's yeah, let's yeah. try and clear the sample as best we can but you know but I was I was happy that that, that, that it sounded good so uh, so we we went ahead with it yeah, so he must have been super close. You know, it must have been as close as you can get it. Yeah, no, 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 definitely. Yeah, as I say, no, he he, he did a, he did a great job, and uh, it, it was it, it was it, it was very very tight what he did. He, he played it really well. I think he did it all himself. You know, I think he was quite wow. multi talented musician. Very much so. Very much so. So fast forward twenty years. Yeah, yeah how do you yeah. feel looking back now at the Yamanda time? I shouldn't say the Yamanda time because you're still doing Yamanda stuff now, aren't you? Is that yeah, right? yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I'm, I, I mean, I'm working on new ideas. You know, I've kind of like just not. You know, I've had other, other you know bits and pieces. You know, to I've been DJing and then I've just moved mm. house recently. You know, but but yeah, no. I mean, I'm definitely going to put put some new stuff out, out as Yamanda with you know and and a similar style. You know, maybe with with you know with a nod to disco. I mean, it'll probably always will have like a disco element because that's amazing great. love it already absolutely you know and uh, just, just it's just, just trying to make sure that it sounds current and not from 20 years ago I think that's that's the, the problem that, that a lot of people have it's just trying to make you know like a disco record sound current so yeah so I'm, I'm definitely going to be putting some new stuff out very very soon and um, and obviously I've still got, got some DJ gigs lined up so yeah I mean you know I'm really looking forward to the next year really outside of Yamanda are you producing other aliases is there secret projects is there collabs because I know obviously there was Highgate with you and Jules and and various other bits and bobs is, is it still um, busy busy studio wise you know yeah yeah definitely I mean I'm, as I say, I'm, I'm, I've got so many ideas that I've put, put down on, on my computer over the past couple of years but I haven't actually released anything this is this, oh my goodness yeah you know, that hard of, drive must be you yeah, know yeah. Full, full of absolute belters I'll tell you there's, I mean, in my in my opinion I've got some really really fantastic ideas but I kind of like you know I kind of like work on an idea and then I think right okay I'm gonna, that sounds great and then I kind of like start on another idea which mm. I love as well so I've got all these really really good underdeveloped ideas that just need need a little bit of arranging but 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 um project wise yeah i mean i've been i've been doing some putting some down some ideas with my old bandmate from amen uk panos leasi um well, obviously we made passion way back in the day and um yeah Huge record, absolutely. Yeah, it was great, great for us at the time, and we kind of like reconnected again. And um, so we're we're he, he lives in Cyprus, and um, and obviously I'm in Ireland. So it's kind of like a little bit tricky to try and you know work on on collaborations because because I've mm. never really. I mean, my collaborations are always based on working with people in the studio. So trying yeah. to sort of like do collaborations online, it's kind of like a little bit new for me. And um, you know, and I prefer to you know to work in the studio with someone. Yeah, I know what you mean. You can you've got body languages as well sure. so if, if you're on something good there's a lot of jumping around and, and all the rest of it isn't there exactly exactly you know so um, it's a bit of a challenge trying to do stuff you know o over the internet but um but yeah so that's that's the plan with with Palos and um with Jules obviously you know I mean he's 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 in London and obviously I've, I've moved back to Ireland and uh you know I, I still wouldn't you know rule out ever doing stuff with Jules again because we've got some well we've got some really really good ideas you know done which we never even you know uh, released you know some really really good wow 
Wow, ladies and gentlemen, that is an exclusive right there. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going I'm to message Jules. I saw him the other day, and I'm going to oh, say, I've, I've heard Paul said about those tunes, man. You guys. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and one, of the two, one of the things I really, really do, and I, I did email Jules a few years back about this. There, there's, there's three records that I've got. Um, which the two of which we did with Boy George, a track called Out of Fashion yeah. and Poverty, which we featured on the Highgate album. And I think they're fantastic records and we, I, I want to revisit them again because I think they're great. And we also have one other record which nobody, I don't think anybody knows about. We did a record with um, Cassandra Fox who sang on the Rui De Silva record. We, we, did a, we did a record, um, uh, this must have been like 2000, 2001, and uh, we took it to the record company and they just weren't too sure about it. But now whenever, whenever I listen back to the record, I just think it's a killer record. It just, mm. Again, it just needs updating. And, and she's got a great voice. And, um, Absolutely. It's, it's a beautiful song. So, um, and I did email Jules a few years back, back about that, saying, you know, we definitely need to, um, to, to work on the Cassandra Fox record. So that's something that we um, definitely will be getting to work to very, very soon because um, it really needs to get out there because it's an amazing song. Jules, if you're listening, please phone Paul. We <laughs> want to hear this record. <laughs> Absolutely. No, definitely. <laughs> So what can I say? Other than that, I'm finishing on that note. Mr. Paul Masterson, a.k.a. Yamanda, and so many other amazing aliases, thank you so much for your time on this week's show. Absolute pleasure, um, Paul. Absolute pleasure. If people want to find you on the internet, find out what you're doing, catch up at any time. How do they go about? What's the, where, how do you prefer people to find you? Sure, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm just on uh, Paul Masterson on Facebook. I've got uh, Yomanda Music, which is like the band page. And um, yeah. yeah, and I'm, I'm obviously I'm on there. I'm actually as Yomanda Synth on Twitter. So, but I prefer to use um, Facebook. I don't really do Twitter that much, really. Cool. So there you go, guys. If you if you want to catch up with Paul and and find out what he's up to and what's happening with with these amazing records that haven't come out, that's the way to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. Once again, Paul, thank you so much for your time. No worries. And um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully catch up with you soon in Clubland. Absolutely, Paul. Looking forward to it. Secrets of a dance hit with Ridley. Huge thank you there to Paul Masterson. Don't forget, please leave us a review and let us know what you think of the show. And don't forget to subscribe if you have a question or a suggestion for a guest. Of course, you can email me. I am Paul at ridney.com. A Secrets of a Dance Hit has been presented by myself, Ridney, produced by Carl Hannigan. A huge thank you to the lovely Laura for her voice that you can hear through the shows. And a thank you to everyone who's emailed questions so far. I will be back in two weeks with another show. Till then, see ya.